You're listening to KUOW. I'm David Hyde, and this is KUOW's District 2 City Council debate. That's Southeast Seattle. Bruce Harrell is an incumbent city council member. Bruce Harrell, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Tammy Morales is a food policy consultant and a candidate for District 2. Thank you for being here. Thank you, David. So I wanted to start by asking both of you kind of a personal question about your vision of the past, present, and future of the city, which is this. Seattle is a city that's changing, and it's changing fast. It's growing. Uh, Tammy Morales, let's start with you. How has all of this growth and change affected you personally? Um, well, I think, you know, you're right. The city is is changing, I think, faster than any of us anticipated. Um, we've got so many people moving here, um, and we have a really rapidly growing inequality in the city. Um, and I think for me, it is very uh, evident in my food work, um, the food policy work that I've been doing, uh, seeing the number of small businesses that are struggling to maintain their um, their inventory, those who are trying to support healthy food in their neighborhoods, um, and then also just seeing the the high level of hunger, the homelessness. Obviously, I think uh, homelessness is something that we're all experiencing, and we see growing. Uh, in all parts of the city. So um, it is troubling to me that the effect of the policies that have been in place for the last, you know, couple of decades have resulted in um, in this growing inequality. And unless we do something about it quickly, um, I'm worried that the city is really going to become a, a one where only the very wealthy can afford to stay. And we'll dig into some of those issues in just a minute. Bruce Harrell, same question for you. How have you personally felt all of this growth and change in Seattle? Well, for the last eight years, I've been on city council, so it's made my job extremely uh, hectic. But I would also suggest that incredible opportunity has been uh, has been created as well. Um, you know, as we look at the growth industries, whether it's high tech, biotech, green tech, uh, you know, the Amazons and Microsofts growing very rapidly. You know, I passed legislation a few years ago uh, to be, to declare Seattle as a human rights city. So one of um, few cities that have made that declaration because as we grow, and I embrace the growth, I, I think this is great for employment, for our children to have a pathway into good jo- jobs. But as we embrace this growth, the question becomes, will we be a compassionate city? Will we have a moral compass? Will we be defined by a great culture? And so you'll see very intentional legislation, community building, mentorship. Uh, you'll see people like myself talking about a pathway to success because we can, if we model this here in Seattle, uh, we can show this country what we be, could, could become. Because a lot of the issues we are experiencing here are not just confined to Seattle; it's what's going on in the country in terms of growing inequality. So I think we have a great opportunity, uh, given the culture we already have here in Seattle. And I think that's my job as a leader here. Tammy Morales, do you agree or disagree that this growth equals, in some ways, opportunity? Well, I certainly agree that there is opportunity there. I think f- my concern is that, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm running is because we need to change the rules of engagement between local government and the people. I think right now, you know, we are, our policies are set up, our rules are set up to serve those with money, those with power and connections to power. And I and that has created a system, several systems, that are resulting in um, inequality and disparate impacts for people. Well, let's get specific about that because voters have to decide between the two of you, two candidates. Yep. We want to know what the differences are. 
Who do you most admire on the current city council and why? Um, I There's a couple of people. Um, I really admire Councilmember O'Brien. I think he is um, standing for for workers. He's been down in the district a lot. I see him more in District 2, frankly, than I see Councilmember Harrell. Um, he's very connected to um, the young people who are trying, uh, particularly people of color, who are trying to engage in the political process and really trying to influence um, uh, the, the inequities in the systems. Um, so I, I appreciate him being very active in our community. Um, and I also admire Councilmember admire Council Sawant. Um, you know, I know a lot of people disagree with her style. Um, I find her to be one of the most principled people I've met. And I think uh, she's coming from a place of wanting to serve our most vulnerable. And, and I definitely connect to that. Um, my work has been about serving community um, and doing community development type work. And I think it's important that we change the rules so that we are addressing these inequities in our systems. Bruce Harrell, same question. Who do you uh, most admire on the current Seattle City Council and why? And I guess you probably shouldn't say yourself. <laughs> well, you know, I don't walk around in admiration of my colleagues, so I, I wouldn't pick one out over the others. I think we have some great members on the council. I, I think my opponent's answer sort of shows how out of touch she is uh, by that answer. I, I really love Michael Bryan. I've enjoyed working with him, but I don't think if you go to District 2, a district that's 70% people of color, that um, is 21% African-American, 36% Asian-American, that if you walk into a lot of the places where I spend my whole life, that they would say Michael Bryan is the one that's in touch with that community. I, I just don't think that happens. I did win 106 out of 107 precincts during the primary, and I've been in that district my entire life, not as a, just a city council member, but as a coach, as a mentor, as a uh, as an attorney representing organizations. So I'm very much in tune with the community. And when we talk about displacement as an example, it's just ironic that some people who, you know, displacement causes because new people are coming in and are displacing others. And I have people, much like my opponent, that I think are, and don't get me wrong, fine people, fine human beings that are moving in, but then they start talking about displacement. We've been trying to worry about these issues for 20 years. We, we build affordable housing because we're concerned about it. Our work in the minimum wage was because we want to address income inequality head on. So District 2 it has phenomenal opportunity. If you look at what we're putting in the budget right now, and yes, Councilmember O'Brien, Councilmember Swant, a lot of council members will join me in making sure we get the investments in District 2. You know, I think part of the intent behind the question was, again, for voter, voters to try to get a sense of the differences between the two of you. And I know that you work with these folks, and so you probably don't want to name anybody specifically. But Tammy Morales did name two, and a lot of people would characterize those two choices, Kashama Sawant and Mike O'Brien, as kind of the left wing of the Seattle City Council. Is that the difference between the two of you, Bruce Harrell? Well, I don't know. I guess it would, it's, it's always incumbent upon, I guess, the challenger to to contrast the differences, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, I'm the labor candidate, um, you know, 27 labor organizations, the SEIUs, all of them, the UFCW 21, the Martin Luther King Labor Council, they're all behind my candidacy. Uh, those two people, O'Brien and Swant, enjoy labor support as well. Well, let me ask you, Tammy Morales, is that why you mentioned those two city council members to underscore the fact that you'd like to move the city a little bit further to the left, a little bit faster than your opponent? 
Sure. I think, you know, as I've been saying, the the we're in the the mess we're in right now in terms of inequality, in terms of, um, you know, the, the land use and the growth management challenges that we're having because of the council's um, poor planning. Um, and I think over the last couple of decades, and I really think that those systems are in place because they are set up to serve developers and landlords and telecommunications and, you know, those uh, larger organizations, corporations, people who have influence and who have closer connections. And we need to change that system so that those folks, we, we need to shift the balance of power back to neighborhoods, back to our neighborhood businesses, to the people in our communities and let them have a stronger voice. And I do think that a lot of that has to do with um, making sure that we are uh, acknowledging that the policies we have in place don't serve our communities first. They serve other interests first, and we need to shift that balance of power. Bruce Harrell? You see, what Tammy does, she does, a, I think, a great job in just describing the problem. And, you know, the median family income in District 2 is around 59000 compared to the median income of, the, of Seattle, which is around 91000 the family median income. I could describe the problem, but the real work comes into, into the work that we're doing. Look at the graduation rates at Franklin, Rainier Beach, and Cleveland High School. Cleveland High School, when I took office, the graduation rates were in the low 50s. Now they're close to 90%, one of the highest in the uh, Seattle Public School District. Franklin consistently puts out high graduation rates. Rainier Beach now with their International Baccalaureate Program are now producing scholars. What credit can you take for what the Seattle Public Schools sure. are doing? Uh, working with the families, working with the communities, raising them money, being the auction share, raising money for the 13th year program, uh, which is a program where if kids in this, at Rainier Beach and it's at uh, Cleveland High School, if they just graduate, they are now accepted to South Seattle College tuition-free. So I believe education is the new civil rights. So when we talk about income inequality, I push on education. My daughter just graduated from Cleveland High School. I put my my family into this fray to understand income inequality such that they realize when they are successful, their obligation is to give back. So yes, I could describe, you know, I've been in District 2 my entire life. I could describe all of the challenges we've had based on historical patterns. But I, again, see opportunity. You take public safety, our crime rates are down 25%, okay? We have um, some very good officers. We're going to give them more officers, and they're going to come from the neighborhoods, the neighborhoods and the communities. And, and I always say we want to hire officers who love our community. And I'm, I become critical when I see officers at events, for example, community events when they're standing around and their arms are crossed and that kind of conduct. I'm telling them build community trust with these kids when they are young, interface with them. And I'm putting something into the budget now, what I'm calling public safety through youth sports, because I look at all of these. Last night I was with a, some, uh, a football team down in District 2. I want officers to be down there playing catch, uh, mentoring these young kids. So, again, we have some great opportunities, but the answers are in the investments and the processes that we are putting in place. And that's why District 2 is, do, is, is on the rise to do great things. We started with the question of who you'd work with or who you most admire on the council, and we ended up going through there and that answer from education to, to uh, public safety. And I do want to get into those things at some point here, but one of the issues I want to get into is transportation. It's an issue in this election. Voters are being asked to spend nearly a billion dollars on this Seattle transportation measure, Proposition 1. How are you going to vote, Tammy Morales, and what's your advice to KUOW listeners? 
Well, um, in general, I would say that I'm supportive of the move of Seattle levy in terms of the objectives and the goals of of what's been laid out. So I think the Vision Zero um, goal for zero fatalities is incredibly important, particularly for District 2, where we've got, you know, one of the most dangerous roads in the city. Um, and the, the goals of safer roads, safer routes to schools, um, uh, seismic retrofits for our bridges, all of that is really important because we have a huge backlog of maintenance. What concerns me about the levy is the size of it um, and that the, it is one source of funding for all of this work that we need to do. We had the opportunity in council to uh, diversify the funding stream for this levy. Um, and as anybody who runs a nonprofit knows, Relying on one source of income is a really risky endeavor. So I would have liked to see the commercial parking tax, the employee hours tax that were um, attempted passed. And uh, my opponent had the opportunity to have a more diverse funding stream for this project and uh, chose the more regressive systems. So, Bruce Harrell, what do you think? Are we overtaxed when it comes to property? And is that a problem for Prop 1 voters? It's going to be very problematic. I do support the levy. Not only do I support it, I'm actively trying to garner support for it out there. This is a huge investment uh, at $930 million. It's replacing a $365 million uh, uh, seven-year uh, ballot measure that is expiring. And so I think we need these investments. We're going to Right, get a, d- a doubling of the current rate, it's, basically. Well, even more than a doubling, yeah. yes. Uh, we have to be very forthright in our levy oversight to make sure we're getting the public is get, are getting the bang for the buck. And so I anticipate we'll have some strong levy oversight. For my particular district, District 2, I want to make sure we have over $180 million in some very specific investments. Investments are not just um, roads and sidewalks, you know, and, and safe routes. They also, there's tree canopy in there for a reason because we're looking at the whole sort of ecosystem of how traffic moves and what um, and, and how power lines interface with the roads. And so you're looking at basic, basically an entire system that we're trying to upgrade. And I think I'm hopeful that the voters will pass it. If they do not, and there's been a lot of criticism about it, then we go back to the drawing board and figure this out. But I don't think that um, – I think that these are good investments for the city, particularly given the growth that we will experience. Why wasn't there a more diversified funding stream going into it the first time? Yeah. So my uh, opponent here talks about the commercial parking tax and the employee head tax. There are very specific reasons why both the mayor, the executive, the transportation director, and the majority of the council members did not use those tools. We did not want to use those tools prematurely. We've said publicly uh, on the dais that we will look at the employee hours tax. We look at the commercial parking tax as additional streams. We did not feel those were the appropriate tools for this levy. And I, and, I, and I continue to believe that. Uh, we considered the employees' head tax. It's not as though we didn't arbitrarily or we just arbitrarily excluded it. We had a lot of open, transparent conversations about the employee head tax and the commercial parking tax. We chose not to use those tools for this particular levy, levy measure. How big of a problem is it for Seattle voters and Seattleites to have a system where you're both calling the tax system pretty regressive, and how do you solve it? Well, I think that's a conversation that the next council will be having for sure. We have to talk about revenue reform in this city. And barring any major change at the state legislature, I think... um, We can't have an income tax. We can. We cannot have an income tax 
because the state says we can't have an income right. tax. So what do you do? Well, I think we will have to have a conversation about that at the city level. Um, you know, there are several folks talking about a, sta- a citywide income tax for high income earners. Um, you know, the truth is that we are we are strapped right now. We have limited tools for raising revenue. Thanks to Tim Iman, we have limited um, taxing authority, which is why we have to keep going back to the voters for new levies, um, for, for new sources of revenue for the city. We have a five billion dollar budget. Um, you know, throughout this campaign, we've been talking about our growing homelessness, about income inequality, about um, housing affordability. And the way that we solve some of those problems is by investing in our human services. But that only accounts for 4% of our budget. Um, and, you know, the bulk of it goes to public safety and, and utilities. And so until we find new ways of raising revenue, we're not going to be able to address this homeless problem and, um, and deal with the other social services, senior services, transportation for the elderly. All of the things that will make our neighborhoods healthier and safer for community have to have more investment, and that's going to mean a real serious conversation about new ways to raise revenue. What do you think, Bruce Harrell, on the question of tax reform? So, David, you you do more than have a conversation. What you do is you realize the inequities. Uh, The federal structure hopefully will be changed when you look at unearned income as an example or dividend income not being taxable, things like this. You'll see, you will see conversations on the federal and the state level. What the city council needs to do, though, is look at every single tax or fee that they impose and put it through a, uh, a lens as to whether it's progressive. An example would be on our vehicle license tab of $60. Uh, the state only gave us the tool to charge all cars $60, and I made the point a few weeks ago at a hearing that you know, if a person's driving a, a Maserati, certainly they might be able to pay more than a person driving a 1995 Chevy. And so every time we impose a fee, we need to put it through the lens of can we now be progressive and not regressive. That's the work we do. I'm put, actually putting some monies in the budget for the use of park fees as an example. You know, there's a difference between equality and equity. And so just because we're charging everyone the same amount, there's a disparate impact in place. And so every single piece of legislation that the city charges, I think we need to look at it from a progressive Standpoint, and that's not a conversation. That's actual work we're doing. Let's stay with uh, Bruce Harrell, and I want to ask about gun violence because we don't have that much time left. And public safety in general in District Two, it's an issue. It's been an issue in this campaign. Bruce Harrell, what's the difference between you and your opponent for voters who are sitting at home, scratching their heads, trying to figure out who to vote for? What's the difference between the two of you when it comes to public safety? Well, first of all, there's a fundamental difference. I actually have uh, experience in public safety, and she doesn't. But from a policy standpoint. Um, you know, as an attorney, I've looked at the laws, and we have a law now, RCW 9.41.290, which gives the state, its state preempts cities from being able to actually enact very good, safe gun laws. And so myself and others are working on making sure we could somehow overcome that. Under my leadership, we actually have taken off more guns on the streets than ever before. We've taken off recently around 600 guns. We started a gun task force. This is not the the buyback programs. This is an actual intent to make sure we're taking guns off the street. Uh, I've come up with a proposal as an example that the police should be able to take a gun away from a person that's inebriated, just like they can't drive a car, they shouldn't be able to possess a gun. We don't have that right right now, as an example. That's We can't uh, prohibit guns from being in parks, as an example. Um, so the kind of freedom that we want to be able to impose, very reasonable but good, solid laws in terms of gun safety, I think we have to get out from state preemption. So the long-term strategy is certainly 
getting out from the preemption uh, state law, but the short-term strategy is making sure we take as much take as many guns out of the uh, the wrong hands as possible. Timmy Morales, gun violence, public safety in District Two. Sure. What are the differences between you and Bruce Harrell? Well, my opponent is right. I don't have any experience leaving the community in the dark about what's going on with public safety. We've had numerous shootings in the last year. He is the chair of the Public Safety Committee, the chair of the Civil Rights Committee, and he has not had a single hearing addressing this question. And the commu- th- this is one of the things I hear on the doors over and over again. What is happening? Why are we not? What are we doing to address public safety? What are we doing to address the gun violence? And I have to say, I don't know the answer to that because we haven't had any hearings about it. So, um, you know, my opponent's been there for eight years. He's been on this committee for for the whole time. And the fact that we don't have a solution, we were in a public safety meeting in uh, the Chinatown International District just the other day, and the community members asked the same question. What are you doing? Why aren't we able to solve these problems? So, um, you know, I think that we have a lot of work to do to support our communities better, to help our families stabilize. A lot of this comes from... Um, you know, some of it is, is certainly drug-related, you know, hard crime. A lot of it is also just the fact that we have so many young people who don't feel like they have options. They don't have opportunity. And so we need to create more stable families. We need to support families in engaging in the education system. We need to, um, you know, and we need to make sure that we have more community-oriented policing happening so that police get out of their cars, um, you know, stop cruising around the neighborhood and actually start to engage with the community. We're trying to help folks understand the differences, again, between the two of you. Bruce Harold, did you hear anything there that you disagree with? What are the differences between you and Tammy Morales when it comes to public safety, other than your experience? Sure. Again, David, you didn't hear any solutions. And, uh, and a solution is an automatic gunfire locating system, as an example. This is technology that I've put in the budget uh, that allows technology to pinpoint where guns are fired. Right now, we trace gunfire based on 911 calls. That's an imperfect system, and, and we don't really capture where guns are actually fired. Uh, with that technology, you can also put a camera on there that's automatically turned on when there's gun gunfire. And I use that as an example of, you know, we could talk about it all day. We could have hearings and just um, whine about the problems. That's not meaningful work. I talk to people daily about the gunfire. I've lived in this south end Seattle my entire life. I'm no stranger to what's happening out there. I have kids that are, have grown up there. I've raised all my kids there. So no one's oblivious to the problem. Again, I go back to the fact that we have taken 600 guns out of the hands of criminals. This is meaningful work. Then you have to go to the kids um, that who are getting mentored. And one of the problems are kids have access to guns. And so Within my tenure, you did see, and I was involved in the efforts to make sure that we have the universal background checks and other types of gun safety that's going on. So with the kids, we are now mentoring them, investing in mentoring programs since they realize um, the the dangers that are out there and they have a better self-image. So not only the hard work of retrieving guns, but catching these kids when they're early and teaching them that violence is not the way. So we have a very complex strategy we've put in place other than just talking to people about the issues. I'd like to spend more time on this, but we're not going to have that much more time to talk about other issues. So I wanted to move on to another somewhat contentious issue, which is tent cities and where they ought to be located. I understand you two disagree about this. Tammy Morales, where do you disagree? Uh, I feel like we need to allow for um, homeless encampment. You know, this is this is not the perfect solution, um, but it is the compassionate solution. And I think the the 
thing about the um, tent encampments is that they are somewhat regulated. There's self-policing. And so um, rather than have people just out randomly on the street, if we can create these safer spaces for the homeless community, um, I think that that's something that we need to do. So should they be in residential areas? Well, I think I, that's not the first choice, obviously, um, but I do think that they need to be connected to service, connected to transit corridors, um, and and connected to the community. What's wrong with how we've been approaching it up until now or in the past? With the encampments? Yes. Um, you know, I think that they are... Well, the first thing is that, unfortunately, I think we need more of them um, until we start building more shelters. And, and that's part of the problem, that the shelters that we have now aren't safe. They're not healthy places to be. You know, I was in uh, Nicholsville a couple of weeks ago talking to folks, and I asked people, why are you here instead of being in a shelter? And they said, I don't feel safe there. People take my things. It feels dangerous. There's lice. There's bed bugs. Until we create a, a more humane shelter system where people can feel like that is a, a, a safe alternative for them, then they are going to be going to the tent encampments. So, you know, there's not one solution to this problem, but I think making sure that people are in um, in safe environments and that they have access to the services they need should be a priority. Bruce Harrell, what do you think? Well, I didn't hear her disagree with any of my positions, and I th- that's what I was waiting to hear. Uh, in District 2, we have around 32,000 households. Well, it sounds like she's saying she's open to the idea of putting tent camp encampments in residential areas, not as a first choice, but possibly as a choice. Do you agree with her about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I don't know how far down the choice is. Let, let's be very clear. Let me make my policy very clear. In District 2, it's the households, that, and I was describing the, the total number of households, they are not saying, please come and champion homeless encampments in my neighborhood. Bring them here. What they want are investments in education, investments in transportation, investments in, in the ecosystem. I impress upon the district that you have to be compassionate, and I say that repeatedly. And so ideally, no, it's not in the neighborhoods. It's in other areas where we can still give them access to uh, resources and close to transit line. Now, we went through a very, under Councilmember Lakata's leadership, a very stringent analysis of where these encampments should be. That was good legislation. It was solid legislation, legislation that I support. And so at this point, no, I'm not trying to push them in neighborhoods. I, and, and, and you see, I believe the neighborhood people, if you really look at where it's been done, even in an unauthorized basis, crime rates do not go up. These people start bringing canned goods and fruit to the encampments. And so, you know, poverty is not pretty to look at. So where we have them, I'm also trying to impress upon the neighborhoods their neighbors too. But no, and the neighborhoods are not the first choice if we could find good space otherwise. Bruce Harrell, uh, time for about one more question. And uh, it's been a contentious race, uh, somewhat con- contentious debate, pretty pretty friendly. But let's end on sort of the pleasant high note, which is what do you admire most about your opponent? Well, um, you know, I said earlier, but uh, I don't know if it was well received or not, but this is a very demanding job. And you ju- you're juggling several things, family, personal life, business income. And so I admire the fact that she's doing this out here, debating and balancing her personal life and, as well as her professional life. That's a uh, few people could really do it to, to, to this kind of level. And I've seen her do it. And so I do admire that. Tammy Morales, same question for you. What do you admire most about Bruce Harrell? Uh, well, he is very active with the young people in the community. And I think that we do need to have um, 
more mentors and and uh, more uh, better role models in our community for folks. And so I think that the work that he's done around that is important work. Timmy Morales, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Bruce Harrell, also to you, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, David. You were listening to KUOW's District 2 debate. This is KUOW. I'm David Hyde.